0: I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome the co-founder of Sloop Brewery to our broadcast today, Adam Watson. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Adam, can you tell me about the origin of your business? So we actually started in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, Basically, me and my buddy from uh, college, we both went to SUNY New Paltz. Um, After school, we started homebrewing together. And uh, we were doing that in his garage and we wound up with more beer than we knew what to do with. So, uh, you know, one day we're like, well, what if we tried selling it? So wound up getting a liquor license, uh, took maybe three, four, five months, uh, forget exactly how long, but uh, wound up with a farm brewer's license and started selling at the Beacon Farmers Market here in um, the Hudson Valley, New York. Um, And we did pretty well. We sold. We were were filling up uh, 22 ounce bottles, selling them there. uh, Expanded to the Poughkeepsie Farmers Market, Arlington Farmers Market, and we kept selling out. So we figured, why not up the production a little bit? And we invested a little bit of money and started worked our way all the way up to three barrel batches, where every barrel is about 31 gallons. Um, And uh, we're still doing very well. Still, still selling out every day. So. we had to make a decision on what we were going to do, whether we are going to you know, just keep this as kind of a hobby or make it a full-time career. And we we uh, took the plunge and got a round of friends and family investment and some uh, bank loans and moved to a barn in Elizaville, New York, which is roughly about two and a half hours north of New York City, um, where we got a 30-barrel brew house, a um, bunch of fermenters, um, signed a contract with a local distributor here um craft new york at a new Faults also and um turned also started distributing in massachusetts and connecticut built that business up to about four thousand five hundred barrels a year that takes us roughly three four years into the business and uh you know still selling out doing very well and um at that time we're looking for a, a ways of expanding and um This old IBM facility in Hopewell Junction has been vacant for a while. Uh, Global foundries, they still make microchips. They still operate here. But most of the buildings are vacant. And a property developer came in here and is renovating everything. Um, So our landlord uh, is iPark. And we moved the entire brewery down here. Bought 120 barrels for New canning line. And I think we're doing about 40,000 barrels a year now. Hopewell Junction is in Dutchess County, New
0: York. How have you experienced the pandemic? How has it impacted your operating facility and your bottom line? Um,
1: So basically when COVID first hit, um, the obvious reaction was all the bars and restaurants uh, were forced to close, um, which eliminated all draft or keg business. Um, that was the immediate effect where I remember one day we got an email from all the distributors saying, basically, even if we have kegs on order, we don't want them. Don't put them on the truck. Nobody's buying kegs anymore. Um, so that was it forced the entire industry to shift entirely to or, you know, 99, 95 percent um, off premise business or cans or um, well, cans for us, at least, but cans and bottles, anything that a customer could take home with them. Was really the only way you were going to sell beer, um, which was a huge uh, impact on the market. Uh, additionally, everybody has keg inventory. All the breweries have keg inventories, and the distributors have keg, keg inventories. Even the retailers had all these kegs; they didn't know what to do with. They're trying to return them, um, which we obviously took uh, all the kegs back from um, from the retailers. But uh, we shifted to um, all the off-prem can, all the off-prem business, so. Um, boosted sales in you know, at, you know, like Hannaford's, Whole Foods, all the chain business like that. We saw a lot of uh, increased volume there, which was great. But still, uh, you know, we had to deal with all our keg inventory. And, um, you know, we beat the crap out of our canning line. We've never done this many cans ever in this amount of time. Um, and we're just, you know, everybody's got their fingers crossed, hoping that bars and restaurants are going to be able to do more and more business And the industry can come back. Your actual facility in terms of the folks you have on staff and
0: the team that brews, how has that changed, if at all, with social distancing and the realities of the pandemic?
1: So on the wholesale side, not much was forced to change. Obviously, everyone's wearing masks, um, but nobody's working too close to each other. So... I mean, people on the canning line, even the, even the canning line, everybody's pretty much spread out more than six feet. So it wasn't too much of a shift in that. It was re- The biggest change was really just going from kind of a 50-50 split between draft and package products to 100% package products and uh, just changing schedules in order to accommodate that. You are doing a lot of direct to
0: consumer or through the supermarket.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's not so much direct to consumer. It's really still the same distribution chain. So we're still selling to the uh, wholesalers who sell to retailers. It's the retailers able to buy our product changed from a fifty fit, roughly fifty fifty split between um, on premise bars and restaurants and uh, off premise uh, you know chain business. Is that salvageable when you think of the financial reality of that
0: conversion model and? draft versus canned, given the fact that the pandemic has escalated with resurgences over time and the likelihood of vaccinating the public, could you continue to operate in this manner for a year or for months, or or is is restaurant um, inventory and bar inventory essential for you to
1: stay in business? Um, it is not necessary. It's not hundred percent necessary for us to stay in business. Um, but that being said, it's devastating to the hospitality industry as a whole, what has happened. And, uh, you know, like I, I, used to do all the sales and, um, you know, I used to visit all the bars and restaurants and sell them beer and I built relationships with a lot of these people and to see what's happened to the industry as a whole over this entire COVID deal is it's it's horrible. A lot, there's so many places going out of business and it's absolutely devastating. And honestly, we we, this vaccine has to get out there. Everybody has to get it so that we can get things a little bit back to normal. Um, how have you found
0: the state's guidance to be, uh, there has been concern about the governor's approach to industry as well as what you're describing to be the, the reality for the hospitality industry as a result of um, not reopening in a way that could be preserved but a lot of places reopened and then shut back down but in where you are doing business how is what is your perception of, of whether, there's a disconnect between the way folks are operating on the ground and the way the governor has gone about responding to COVID.
1: That's a really good question. And it's a difficult one to answer. I'm not a scientist. Um, You know, I only, you know, read the reports in the newspaper and see it on TV. Um, I think that this entire situation has been completely unprecedented and to put myself in cuomo's position would be uh you know difficult so i don't i don't want to pass too much judgment here but th- that being said there has been a disconnect um my biggest concern is there's currently no time frame on when the hospitality industry is going to be receiving vaccines um, i know that currently we're in 1B. So apparently manufacturing is covered, but, you know, nobody's telling us to go get vaccinated currently. I, I mean, I I think that one of the biggest, I mean, one of the biggest industries that were affected by this has been the hospitality industry. And uh, you know, there's been PPP, EIDL, there's another PPP out right now, which is helpful, but um, we, we just, we're seeing tons and tons of businesses go under because of this, and it just feels like there could be more that could be done. There is a model
0: you're working with in addition to retail that people can pick up at your facility if they want to?
1: Yeah, we're actually doing um, we're doing fifty percent occupancy inside, so people can come in and you know dine the traditional way. Um, we obviously have all our, our, uh, staff is educated and wearing masks and, um, everything sanitized a hundred times a day. Um, but we also, uh, do curbside pickups. You can go online, order food, and we can have one of our wait staff run out and, and, uh, give it to you when you arrive. Um, you know, we also do fun things like, um, we're the date night special, you know, everybody's coming up with creative ways to uh, do as much business as possible, but, you know, you can go online, order, um. You know, dinner for two every Friday. Um, come in and pick it up or you can do curbside. Uh, but it's di- dinner for two, uh, three-course meal, uh, set price every week. But it's it's fun to see uh, everybody's uh, creative ways on how to uh, do as much business as possible. Because I do know, as you described, it's an old industrial
0: site converted into a brew pub where you have traditionally had food offerings, arcade, games, um, you know, th- those are realities of people's normal lives that yep. are suspended. Um, but have you found that there are w- ways to keep it alive, either social distance or through some virtual alternatives to your traditional arcade gaming? Well,
1: unfortunately we did remove the arcade games just because that's not COVID friendly. Um, so, we we rearranged the entire floor of the restaurant so that all the tables are, are spaced more than six feet. Um, it's not it's not what it used to be. We used to have a nice lounge area where people c- could come sit in, on couches around a table. Obviously, we're not doing that. We're, we're following whatever guidelines are given to us by the county uh, or the state uh, or CDC. Um, we're following that. But at the same time, we're trying to make it as inviting and friendly and as much as normal as we could possibly make it under the circumstances. And we hope that
0: those stringent guidelines that the governor imposed are loosened because folks in your industry, even very early on, folks with pre-existing conditions and immunocompromised conditions still have not been eligible in this rollout, in addition to a whole sector that is as much first responders as others that have been eligible for 1A and 1B, which is what you pointed to as that disconnect.
1: Yeah. I mean, what CDC is recommending uh, appears to the best of my knowledge, not what New York state is, is uh, providing. And I don't, I don't want to make assumptions on, I mean, look, New York state may have not gotten the the amount of vaccines necessary to do the rollout. I'm not, I'm not here to make assumptions, but like currently Uh, we should be getting the vaccine and we're not.
0: Right. It it has appeared substantially more restricted than other states that have rolled out. Yes. Uh, Let's talk about the artistry of the business, because in addition to the artistry of your beer, which has a tremendously complex amount of of flavor profiles, Mm -hmm. aromas, And for those who like getting their juice on in beer, you've got, you know, juicy, hazy flavors. Also have designed names of these special beers and uh, cover art, if you will, uh, on the cans that that are as – thoughtful as any of the construction of the taste profiles so i'm glad you're
1: recognizing that yeah yeah.
0: so (laughs) so how did you how did you come to arrive at this aesthetic match between the flavors and their sophistication and the artistry not even just in the taste but in the appearance on the cans
1: well I, i appreciate you recognizing everything that kind of goes into making this kind of product um so um, Justin Taylor is the head brewer here. He's my partner. He's the one whose garage we started everything in. Um, he's the mastermind behind uh, Juice Bomb and all the wonderful beers that we do. Um, but yeah, he developed the recipe for Juice Bomb, uh, you know, over, you know, probably, I would say more than a year um, before it was it really um, started taking off and getting going. But um, that was originally released when we were up in Elizaville. Um and uh, Bob, Robert Davidson is actually a high school buddy of mine, and he does all the graphic design. Um, and, you know, he's, he's always been around. He's, you know, so he lives in uh, PA, but he, he comes by all the time. And he, he actually worked in this location for uh, well over a year. Um, but, you know, we're, we're all friends. And, uh, you know, whenever there's a new product coming out, there's a lot of discussion that, you know, what, what is the product? What's the flavor profiles? Uh, what are we trying to achieve with the marketing? um and what consumer base we're going after um but you know there's a lot of thought that goes into that and um yeah he's been he's been making all the labels um almost since day one
0: do you sometimes arrive at an aesthetic concept before a taste concept um
1: well there's interesting some of the beers we do no i you know what i would i would say mostly it's a flavor concept and the um the arts developed around that
0: for example you have a
1: teddy bear on
0: one yes. of your yeah books. so yeah. i was wondering if you decided oh we we want to we want to express this teddy um through our beer and, and once you have it on the art then you got to come up with the the taste and i was wondering if that was connected at all that the teddy and the taste
1: um, well, it's it's 100 connected. Uh, the flavor profile did start first on that one, so that you're you're referring to super soft, uh, which is one of our year-round SKUs. Um, that is the flavor profile is really designed around the fact that there's no boil hops in there, so you're really uh, the boil hops will give like a little bit of a you know bittering to it, but there's absolutely no bitterness to it uh, because there's no boil hops, so it gives it a very soft flavor profile. So obviously it's, we, you know, we called it super soft and what's more super soft than a teddy bear. And Bobby had a lot of fun with that one. We love that label. And it's it's a lot of fun to make and sell. So it's a good one. You described that
0: one as an aroma of pungent tropical fruit and citrus with flavor notes of red grapefruit, ripe papaya and hints of black tea. How much of the actual grapefruit papaya and black tea are
1: involved in in their original form in making that so there's actually none of that in the beer a hundred percent of those flavors and aromas are coming directly from the hops that are added so that there's a combination of hops that are used for each one of our beers unless it's a single hop series like i don't know mosaic bomb uh we do we do a lot of um single hop beers um but that one has a number of hops in it and that um that the combination of hops and the way that they're used in the process is where those flavor profiles are derived from. For those who are not familiar, d- describe the
0: hop and what it means in the context of, of brewing.
1: Um, all right, so there's four major ingredients in um, in beer: you got a uh, yeast, obviously, water, barley, and hops. Um, the American IPA took off in the eighties. I mean, back from like when Sierra Nevada was, you know, they, they created, they're one of the founders of the American IPA. Um, But as of late, there's been um, a movement, the new England or Northeast style um, IPA uh, is very much less bitter than the original West coast IPA. And uh, in order to derive the bitter flavors, you're boiling a lot of the hops just like super soft doesn't have any boil hops. So you get much less bitterness. Um, New England or Northeast style IPAs are much more designed to give more of a flavor. Um, the flavor profile is more aroma and flavor um, rather than bitterness. So the hops being used are mostly made out in Yakima Valley in Washington State, but um, they're designed to really provide those uh, flavor profiles. If you visit,
0: your website, you can see the variety. Um, You also have tart beers. Um, So the sour uh, in the crisp tart sour line, uh, how does that compare um, to um, some Mm -hmm. of the other kind of sour beers like lambics,
1: that have strong uh, juice-like texture and flavor? So a lot of the traditional, more traditional lambic style beers used um, a different combination of yeast and, and bacteria to derive those flavors. Um, most of, we, we do do some beers like that, but um, for example, Confliction is, is um, a beer that we, we do uh, almost year round now. And that is what we call a kettle sour. So we add um, the, uh, the bacteria to that. Um, in the kettle, it sours and drops the pH of the of the liquid um, over a few days. Um, and then that's what gives it that tart flavor. And then that beer in particular um, does get dry hops. So you have this wonderful combination between the hops and the tart flavor. Have you found
0: during the pandemic that um, learning more about beer, its derivation the craft that you undertake with your colleagues and actually consumption of that craft have all been more visible and actually demand has increased both in learning about the production and
1: consuming. Honestly, I, I think that at least where we are in this industry um, where Sloop fits in, um, both the employees and and our consumers have always been pretty passionate about the derivation of the product and how it's made. Um, I haven't particularly seen an increase, but I've, it's it's still the same. Like people come to the restaurant, they you know, they're still asking tons of questions on you know how things are made. Um, unfortunately, we're not doing tours right now, but we'll it will start that up again. Um, but the the uh, the demand for knowledge is, has always been there.
0: What about in, in all earnestness out of the demand for product? Take your mind off the present situation. Um, of course, we're not going to encourage uh, anyone to um, drink irresponsibly, uh, but certainly um, both wine and hard liquor and, of course, beer are a reprieve uh, and, and a source of uh, rejuvenation. Um, yes. so. Restoration. Um, and I just wonder if you've grappled with that during the pandemic, knowing that mental health situation and the fact that, you know, for every single person, whether you were a victim or a family member of a victim um, or have had long haul symptoms since contracting COVID,
1: that this is an extremely stressful and challenging time for people. I mean, there's no doubt that this is an incredibly stressful, um, trying time for everybody in the world currently. Um, in terms of demand, uh, I mean, we out the the way we saw things as soon as this hit, uh, you know, can sales just jumped way up. Um, obviously, people aren't going to bars and restaurants; they're they're drinking at home. Um, And, I mean, that's, you know, they've always said alcohol is one of those industries, you know, people drink when they're happy, people drink when they're sad, when they're stressed, when they're partying. I mean, it's um, the demand for alcohol, I mean, has only gone up, I believe, during this pandemic. With respect to that demand and keeping up with
0: the demand, uh, but also wanting to encourage constructive lifestyle that manages to balance both alcohol and you know, your day-to-day living, and most of us are able to do that. Mm -hmm. What would you suggest from this new administration at a federal level that you might recommend be adopted as it relates both to your business and connected to your business is the overall question of people's lifestyle, mental health, and well-being? Uh, We talked about the state problems with, classification of vaccine recipients and the the very incremental reopening and then abrupt closures of hospitality industry. But beyond that, if you were hoping that your business would benefit from new guidelines or policy from the federal government, what
1: might you suggest? Um, I mean, I firmly believe that not only my business, but every business tied to the hospitality industry uh, what we need more than anything is to um, you know, get life a little bit more back to normal. And the only way that's going to happen is to roll out the vaccine as fast as possible, um, get it to the people, get it to the hospitality workers so that we could start opening back up again. And that is going to relieve a lot of stress on the entire population once life starts, once we can see an inkling of going back to something that's normal. I mean, all I want to do is go out to eat with my wife and kids, have a few beers, dine in a normal setting, and that would be something that would be normal. So everybody get the vaccine as fast as possible. That's what we need. Adam Watson of Sloop Brewery, thank you for your entrepreneurial resilience at this time of crisis. I I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here.